Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. So we're in Matthew chapter 24, and we'll go over some of the things that we looked at last time. One of the things that we saw was um, the final events, and there was one event that we didn't touch on, but we saw that the first part of the final events, as it concerns what's going to happen in the last days, preparing the world for ultimately the battle of Armageddon, is that the first part will be evil angels will be at work in the world. Right? They will be working in different sectors of society. They will be at work in the lives of different people. They will be at work in different systems around the world. And we've covered those systems actually when we were talking about different parts of prophecy last year. This aspect of Babylon. That fallen angels are at work in the systems that constitute Babylon. And they're at work in the entire world. But the next thing that we saw is that those evil angels, they are at work in order to cause something. And they're at work in a certain context. And the context is natural, civil, and political upheaval. We saw that in Matthew chapter 24. And so evil angels, and, and just think of it, friends. Think of the power of the angelic forces as you look into the world. Right? Think of the power of the angelic forces as you have read the Bible. Right? You remember one of the um, pagan kings was coming against God's people, Sennacherib. And as he sent out his army to attack God's people, the night before, one angel went throughout that entire army and killed. Does anyone remember how much that one angel killed? It was a lot. Bible actually says 185,000 men were killed by one angel. The King James actually makes a joke when it says that the it says that the men woke up dead. That's how that's how the King James says it. That the next day they didn't wake up. They were all gone. One angel did that. Friends evil angel, so that was a good angel, an evil angel, Satan in the work, um, at work in the life of Job. Do you remember what happened with Job? He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health, right? God boils on his skin. All that was caused by a fallen angel, friends. These beings are powerful, but you know what that tells me? As powerful as these beings are, even more powerful is their creator. It has to mean that God is even more powerful than such beings that are in existence. But these beings are not only powerful, they are intelligent. And so they are at work in the sectors of society, in the context of natural, civil, and political upheaval. And while this is happening, we found out that according to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, who is going to be blamed for this? The saints, right? God's people will be blamed for the political upheaval, the natural disasters, and the civil unrest within society. And so this is a sad thing that we are seeing. Rather than ascertaining the true cause for the chaos in the world, they will look 
to those who have nothing to do with it. Those who are truly standing for God, they will blame for the crisis in the world. Now, in the context of that crisis, there are two major events that will happen, which is the next one where the question mark is, and those events, one in particular actually, once that happens, it will catapult the world into what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon, all right? The climax of the final crisis. And so today, we're going to look at what the future holds in the context of that question. So that question mark, what is the answer to this, right? What is the answer? Now, I want us to go in our Bibles. Do you have your Bibles with you? Go back to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to look at something here. And when you are there, say amen. 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 All right. So it says, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And then verse 5 says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall do what? Deceive many. Now, have you ever met somebody who claimed to be Jesus Christ? (laughs) Not yet, right? Remember one time I was doing some outreach in downtown Silver Spring. How many of you have been there? Downtown Silver Spring. That's one of my favorite places to go. I love just going there and just visiting the food stores there and just eating, right? So one day I went down there and I had some tracks and so I was trying to hand out the tracks. And as I was doing it, I saw this one guy at the side of the road. And to all intents and purposes, this guy looked completely sane, all right? He looked completely together. So I went up to him and I started witnessing to him and I said, hey, you know, I just wanted to give you this track. I'm just sharing it with different people. Check it out when you get time. And he says, what is this about? And so I said to him, I said, it's about, it's about Jesus Christ and um, about the, the final message that he has for our world. And it's a message of hope, a message of mercy. And he looked at me dead in the face and he said, I am Jesus Christ. I'm Jesus Christ in the flesh. And so I was like, is that right? <laughs> Right, and so we just <laughs> we just started talking, <laughs> and I was like, um, as, you're away. As, I'm, as I'm backing away, <laughs> so I'm like, man, this is really interesting. So I started listening to his logic, and it was completely gone. Right, he looked totally together. Another time, I went to the same place downtown Silver Spring, went to one of my favorite restaurants there. I'm eating there, and as I'm eating there, I see this woman. And some of you may have seen, seen the testimony I shared about this online. So I see this woman, and she's eating. She has all of her luggage with her. And as she's eating, I'm like, she's trying to talk to another lady that was right beside her. And she's talking to the lady, and you could see the lady's like trying to find a way to leave, right? right? And the woman wouldn't let her leave. So I was like, whoa, this lady. And so I'm, I'm trying to peek into the conversation just a little bit to see what is this thing about? And sure enough, it was about religious things. So I was like, bingo, I'm going to try. When this lady leaves, because she was inching her way out, I said, I'm going to try to talk to this lady. And since it's about religious things, it's about the Bible, it seems like she's talking about, I'm going to try to talk to her. And so sure enough, the woman finds her way out. 
and she leaves. And so the other, the lady who was trying to talk to her stays back, right? And so she's eating. And so I said, all right, now here's my opportunity. So I finish eating quickly and I go, I act like I'm walking out and I walk right up to her and I said, ma'am, I couldn't help but overhear that you were talking about the Bible. Um, what are your thoughts on it? And she was like, well, I believe, it's, I believe it's the end of time. And so I said, whoa, really? And so I sat down and we started talking more. And I said, okay, okay. So before I explained, I said, hey, what do you believe about the end of time? And so she said, well, I believe Christ is going to return soon and the rapture is going to happen very quickly. And so I said, wow, okay, so you believe he's coming for, for a people? And she said, yeah, well, this is what I believe. I believe he's coming for his bride. Now, is that correct? Yes, correct. All right, so, so here's the catch, though. Here's the catch. <laughs> so I said, wow, that's amazing. Praise God. And I said, who do you think this bride is? And she says, I am the bride of Christ. I am Jesus' wife. That's what she literally looked at me in the face and she said to me. And friends, I thought I didn't hear her right. So I kind of like, I was like, wait, tell me again? And she says, I am the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, when it talks about the bride and Jesus coming for his bride, that's me. And so friends, I was dumbfounded. I sat there and I was talking to her and I continued talking to her. I, I just sat there and I listened to her and I realized why the previous lady was trying to get out of there. So finally, I said to her, well, ma'am, would you, would you be okay if I, if I prayed for you before I, before I left and before you left? And she looked at me dead in my face and she laughed. She said, pray for me? I'm Jesus' wife. And so friends, I said, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. And so she left and I left. And friends, when I walked out, I was like, Lord, how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you think you're Jesus Christ? Or how do you get to the point where, you're think, where you think you're Jesus' wife? One of, the th one of the things I realized is that it's either that person may be mentally unstable. And in that case, you have to say, well, Lord, people are at different places in their lives and, and they're going through things. And this is the only way that they may know how to cope with their own reality. They're going through something in their own lives or there is some imbalance there. And that I overlook. But friends, what we're going to look at today is that there are people who have arisen, for sure, as we co covered last week, who have claimed to be Jesus, and they genuinely believe it. And these people have deceived millions upon millions of people. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? As we saw, we're wrestling against angelic forces, deceiving individuals. Now, it's one thing... For an individual to show up and claim to be Jesus Christ. But what we're going to look at today is on a whole other level. And this is why there must be a preparation. So 
Matthew chapter 24, you're there with me? So it says there for, in verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now what is the context in which they come? Verse 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And we saw what that meant last week. It's the, the final aspect of the birth pangs of the world. So if I were to ask you, what is the context in which false Christ arise? What would you say? Troubled times, right? They rise. What's that? Say that again. Time of sorrow, right? Time of trouble, time of sorrow, time of crisis. This is the context in which false Christ arise. So false Christ arise in crisis. And last week we said why they arise. Why do, they, why do you think they take that opportunity to arise? Yeah, people are looking for hope. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for a savior. And so friends... As I mentioned, it's one thing when you have individuals rising, claiming to be Jesus Christ. But what happens when the individual that is leading them to claim to be Christ shows up as Christ himself? That's an entirely other level. All right, so keep your fingers with me there in Matthew 24 and go with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. All right, all right. And actually, we'll read it from verse 12 for context. So it says there in verse 12... 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 12. But what I do, Paul says, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Verse 13. For such, and he's talking about wicked men now who are deceiving people, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into what? The apostles of Christ. And the same thing happens today. But look at what he says here. Here's who they are leading people to. These false apostles. Verse 14. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if its ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So what the Bible is revealing here is that the enemy works through false ministers or false apostles to prepare people to receive what? Him, right? Yes, Satan, right? So Satan works through false ministers to prepare the way for them to receive him as what? An angel of light. And friends, that's what's coming upon the earth. 
when it comes to all of the false teachings that are going throughout the world, this is the purpose. It is ultimately to prepare the world for when spiritualism reaches its height, its highest point. And that point happens when the enemy of souls takes the ground. We're going to read a few statements, and these statements are found in a powerful book by the name of Great Controversy. And it's a little lengthy, but we're going to dissect it together. So hopefully, it can be something that can be interactive, and it will be good for us. All right? So are you guys ready for the statement? Amen. Amen? All right. So we're looking at this aspect of Satan appearing as an angel of light. It's one thing for men to appear as Jesus Christ. But what happens when the ultimate foe of the Son of God shows up on the ground claiming to be him? All right, so this is found, this statement, and we covered this already, the context of the rising of false messiahs. They arise in the context, we said, of crisis. So we can expect, what do you think will happen when the ultimate, ultimate crisis hits the world? This is when the enemy of souls will take the ground. Because the pattern is in scripture. It is in the midst of crisis that false messiahs arise. So when the height of the crisis is reached, Satan takes the ground. Now the statement goes as follows. This is found on 624 of the Great Controversy. It says, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception. You remember, when did Satan first begin this deception on earth? Who did he start with? Adam and Eve, right? He caused them to doubt God's plan for them, caused them to think that God was against them and he was holding out on them. This deception has continued to accumulate throughout the ages. And as the crowning act, meaning this is the final one, this is the big one, in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Meaning, we're looking forward to the second coming, right? Now, the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness resembling the description of the Son of God given in John or by John in the Revelation. Have you guys ever read that? Amen. Revelation 1, Jesus Christ glorified. His feet are like feet of brass. His eyes are like blazing fire. There is light emanating from his person. Satan's going to appear like that. I remember one of, um, in the next statement, in the next part of it, <laughs> I remember before I was converted, before I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I used to just love, every Friday night, my best friend and I, we loved going to the theaters and seeing action movies, seeing superhero movies because we idolized those people. And so one of the things that we would do is we said, oh man, there's like five action movies out, five superhero movies out, and we want to see all of them because we loved the effects. And so what we would do is at that time, they didn't have cameras, a lot of cameras in the theaters. So what we would do is what, what do you think we did? Huh? Record? Yeah, sometimes. 
sneak them in? Yeah, yeah, basically that's what we did. So we, we, when one movie was over, we planned it. When one movie was over, we came out and snuck into the other one. All right? And so we did that until we got all the action movies that we wanted. Because we wanted to see the effects. I don't do that today, all right? But that's what I did back then, all right? So some people still do, right? Some people are able to get away with it still. Yeah. So we did that and we were like, man, the special effects are amazing in these films. And one of the things that when I, find, when I first read this, it blew my mind because regardless of all the special effects that we think we have seen, the next part of this statement says, the glory that will surround Satan when that happens, when this event takes place, is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. In other words, think of the grandest thing that you have ever seen. And friends, it's nothing compared to this event. That's why we have to have a mind that is seriously in the word of God. Because if we don't have a mind that loves God's word more than even our senses, our senses will deceive us at this point. Right? And it's not that I'm saying senses are bad, but what I'm saying is that senses, our senses must be guided. It must be guided by the scriptures. Our feelings must be guided by faith in God's word. So it continues, the glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything mortal's eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. What? Christ has come. What? Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. So can you imagine what this would be like? So he shows up. Now, friends, before you read the rest of this statement, how will you and I know that this is not Jesus? <laughs> yes, right? So one, he's not supposed to come like that. Does anybody remember when Jesus comes again, where we're going to meet him? In the, In the air. All right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, right? It tells us that we shall be gathered with all the saints of all ages, and we will rise to meet him in the sky. So first off, the devil will not touch the earth. But friends, it will take more than that. It is not just a knowledge of the word that we need. But we need to experience the Jesus of the word. We need to have a solid relationship with him. Depending on what the Bible says, living in accordance with what the Bible says, and walking with Jesus day by day. So when someone else shows up claiming to be him in every particular, we will know this cannot be Jesus, right? Continues. Now, here's another giveaway. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. That's actually how Christ spoke, by the way. When he spoke, we are told it is because of the melody in his voice, along with his healings, because of his tenderness and compassion, even in the way that he spoke and his mannerisms, that people were attracted to him. It says, in gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious, heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, but here it is. 
Then in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed what? The Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. Friends, it's coming. That time is coming. And this is why we need to know where we stand today. And we need to know what the scriptures teach today. Concerning the commandments of God, concerning what our duty is in light of the generation we are living in. Because when this happens, the whole world will follow. The only ones who will not follow at this time are those who have been following Christ all along. It's going to be a serious test. And if our hearts are not established in Christ, we will follow him. I used to think that, wow, this, this probably happens after every case is decided. But it's very interesting. It's not just in the chapter, if you've read Great Controversy, it's not just in chapter 39 concerning the great time of trouble when all cases are decided and Christ stands up, Michael stands up, when we read about Satan appearing. A few chapters before that, in the chapter Impending Conflict, you read of the appearance of Satan. And so it seems to indicate that while people are still making a decision to receive the mark of the beast or the seal of God, that Satan makes his appearance. And so once that happens, God is saying, this is the crowning act. This is the act that we must be truly ready for. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This, 2 Thessalonians talks about this, this is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. Like the Samaritans who were deceived by Simon Magus, uh, the multitudes from the least to the greatest give heed to these sorceries saying, this is what? The great power of God. Friends, this thing is serious. That's how serious it's going to get. So now when we read Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, and it says, as all these disasters are happening, they will look to us to persecute us. Now you're realizing who the us is, right? It's those who are keeping the commandments of God. Those who are following the word of God. They're living in harmony with the truths of the Bible. The Bible teaching concerning God's commandments and they have total faith and love for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense so far? All right. Now I'm wondering, what causes Satan to take this stand at this moment? When he finally decides to do it, what is it in the world that causes him to take the stand? So now we've seen this final part to the puzzle, all right? The question we're going to ask now is what causes Satan to do this at, that, at the moment that he does it? So evil angels appear in the context of crisis. There's a revival that takes place because people are like, whoa, he's come. The Savior has come. We're going to follow him. Then it turns to the point where the saints are blamed, those who keep the seven-day Sabbath, in the context of Satan appearing as Christ, and this will then lead to the battle of Armageddon. Now, 
as I mentioned before, what is it that causes this to happen? What is it that causes all of these events to just go forward in such rapidity that many will be shocked? Friends, it's in Matthew 24. And I tell you the truth, unless what we're going to read happens, friends, nothing else happens. We will see things transpiring in the world, yes, and these are signs of the times and signs that we are living in the end time. But there is only one sign among all the signs given in Matthew 24 that ends the world. So there are signs of the end and then there's a sign that brings the end. Does that make sense? All right. So Matthew 24. Let's go to Matthew 24. So when you are there, say amen. Whoa, that was fast. Okay, praise God. All right, so verse 9, we're going to read from. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Because iniquity, that is lawlessness, shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure, that means in the law, or in love, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And here's the statement. Here is the sign that brings the end. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as it is proclaimed and the end will come. Is that what the text says? Shall the end come, right? But notice, there's a word there that tells us it's not just a proclamation that's going to end the world. Many think by making videos, and videos are good. We need the videos, right? I want this message, like, I want this message right now to get out to others. And hence, so, so I'm, I'm definitely thankful for the work that the AV team is doing. We need that work. The proclamation has to happen. But if it stops there, Friends, the world is not going to end through a proclamation of the message. Notice what the scripture says. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a what? A witness. That means it has to be something that is? It's seen. It's witnessed. It is not enough for us to go and tell people the message. They must see the message of Christ's love demonstrated in order for the world to come to an end. That is something that I used to think for years. Man, Lord, we've been proclaiming this thing for so long. People have been hearing it. There are different sectors of the world that were hidden that have now heard the gospel. Why hasn't the world ended? And then finally, when I read this scripture, I began to realize, along with inspiration, I began to realize... That, whoa, even while I'm proclaiming this message, and while there may be 21 million seven-day Adventists giving the three angels' message, have we demonstrated the love of God that is revealed in that message? Have people been able to see that this person doesn't just care about me hearing a message and learning certain doctrines? Is that important? Yes. But friends, if that is all we do, and we do not minister to the sick, heal the hurting, 
bring strength to those who are discouraged. If we do not come alongside the person that is seeking help and that is needy, friends, the world is not going to end. Christ is saying the good news of the life that he lived must become the flesh of the three angels' messages. It is not just that we proclaim a message. It's not a proclamation of the gospel that is going to end the world. It is a demonstration of the message that will bring an end to all things. When I finally realized this, it changed my entire Christianity, friends. It took me eight years of taking the Bible and using it as King Arthur's sword to slash people to pieces and winning arguments and battling people and going into debates before God helped me to realize, (laughs) Akeem, look at the life of the Son of God. And in that life, yes, you see a battle of words. We do see Jesus at times going back and forth with the religious leaders of his day. But friends, do you know what we are told? As much as Jesus preached, even more than preaching, he healed. He ministered to the needs of others. He reached them not where they were not, but he reached them where they were and brought them higher. When Satan sees the church do that, then he will take the ground. In other words, it is, and we're told this in the great controversy, it is in anticipation of a coming revival that he sees of the goodness of God in his church that causes him to say, I have to stop this. And we are told that before the time of such a genuine revival of primitive godliness taking place, he will cause a false revival so that people will be deceived, that they won't be able to recognize the truth. So I looked at that and I was like, wow, Lord. I began to pray and say, Lord, help me to become that witness that you need. Help me to stop necessarily playing church, even as a minister, and just preaching the message, but going out to the people where they are. This is why I'm thankful for the aspects of what the ministries that we are doing in Pasadena, because it gives us an opportunity to not just proclaim, but to do something, to see the needs of the people and to do something about those needs to visit the people, to come to them where they are, in their homes, and minister to them. Of course, in the time of of the situation we're living in, we do that with certain health precautions, but friends, we are told that we must in some way, shape, or form come near to the people so that they can know, whoa, this guy doesn't just care about how much I know. He cares about my life and what I am facing. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen? All right. Now, this is something that we're actually, so we're seeing that Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 is the final sign. The message that must go forth to the world, not just by by words, but by deeds. 
And so this is one of the things I read um, in connection with that. And this is our last slide here. And it, it helped me to realize that, wow, okay, we have a work, Matthew 24, 14. But this work is delineated in the Old Testament, actually. In Isaiah 58, it actually tells us of the work that we are supposed to do. Manuscript 7, page 19, um, year 1908. It says, I have been instructed to refer our people to the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Read this chapter carefully to understand the kind of ministry, look at this, that will bring life into the churches. The work of the gospel is to be carried by means of our words. Is that what it says? No. no. It says it is to be carried by means of our liberality. That means, friends, what does that mean? That means by our giving, by our sacrificing of our time and our resources to minister to others. By our, of our liberality as well as of our labors. When you meet the suffering souls who need help, give it to them. When you find those who are hungry, feed them. In doing this, you will be working in the lines of what? Christ ministry. That was the foundation. The master's holy work was a benevolent work. Let our people everywhere be encouraged to have part in it. There's a point where we will take time and we will study it in the coming days, this aspect of Isaiah 58. And friends, I've been looking at that and, and lately I said, okay, Lord, the new year has begun. What book would you have me to begin reading? And I've begun reading a powerful book by the name of Ministry of Healing. Amazing book. It actually says that while Jesus was powerful in word, it actually mentions, friends, that to be in the presence of Christ was as being in the very presence of heaven itself. What kind of being must he have been in order for a person to be around you and feel like they are in heaven itself? Friends, that is possible for all of us, by the way. If we come into contact with the Messiah and we begin to reach out to souls around us, those people can feel that. They can sense heaven on earth in your life. It says he was ever cheerful. The, the hurting, they saw him and they rejoiced at his coming. Whenever he came in through their towns and villages, they knew he's here. And it wasn't just because of what he could do for them. It was because of his very person. He sat down and listened to what they were going through and facing. Sometimes not even yet saying a word. It says at times his wisdom caused him to keep silent in certain situations. Until the time was appropriate to speak. Oh my friends, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we might have it. Oh, that I might have it. It is when the devil sees this manifestation in God's people. You know what happens? He will say a revival is coming. They're beginning to take hold of the Messiah as they should. They're beginning to walk with him day by day. They're beginning to take their relationship with him seriously. 
it's time for a false revival so that I could deceive the world. So when they finally get to the peak of this experience that they're beginning now, the world would have already been deceived. That is what causes the end time events to go forward in rapidity. It is when the devil sees the sparks of a demonstration. Does that make sense? Friends, my prayer for us today is that we will have that experience. That as you hear online today, friends, that you will go to Jesus and I will go to Jesus and ask him, Lord, help me. Give me this deep experience that will go beyond intellectual knowledge to a true spiritual experience with you that I can manifest your life to others, that it will no longer be I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that your prayer? With that, let us close at this time. Father in heaven, I pray that Lord, you would give us this experience that we so desperately need. Lord, we know that apart from you, we have no life. Jesus is our life. And so I pray that you may pour out your spirit upon us, that he may dwell in our hearts and give us the love of God. That we might be able to manifest that love to all that we come in contact with. Yes, Lord, we know that according to your word, there's an aspect of truth that we will have to say. But Lord, give us the wisdom. And as Jesus had, Give us the greatest tact in how we communicate with others. And Lord, to know that even that there are times when we are told by inspiration that Jesus knew when to remain silent. Give us that wisdom, Lord, because we know we need the Holy Spirit for that. Help us to be that demonstration in our sphere of influence and even going beyond that to the world itself. We pray and we ask these things. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.